Well, good morning. Well, I just want to thank Kendra and the prayer team and ministry team for having that ministry. Uh, I am an elder here at the Grand Prairie Alliance, and I have to say I agree. I probably told her that. Praying for others is actually one of my favorite things. It is, it is truly a blessing for us, and I know I can speak for many of the other elders that we love doing it. It, it is something just very powerful, very special when you open yourself up to, to pray. And this morning, as we, as we sang, nothing but the blood of Jesus, and we watch these people get baptized, and, and I, I want to acknowledge so many of you guys who actually poured into these people's lives to the point that they got to meet Jesus, to the point that they wanted to make this declaration to get baptized. You know, it takes a church, it takes a village for this, and it's just, it's incredible. So thank you for that. So I'm Dan. As I said, I am uh, on the elders here. Um, I'm also with Rising Above, a board member with them and a couple other organizations, and you guys get to hear my first sermon. But it's actually my second sermon because I preached last sermon, so you get my second sermon. Um, thank you. So I have to say, it's, it's exciting and nervous. I mean, I don't know if I had a pulsing, what my pulse would be doing, but it's definitely up there. So, But I, when they asked me about doing this, you know, and, and it was like, initially, yes, I want to do this. You know, like God's, I love God. I want to share him with people, right? And I was like, oh man, what did I get myself into? But, I, you know, it was okay because I had some sermons that I'd already written because God had been preparing me. And then they told me, well, actually, we want you to preach on this sermon, on this passage. And I read this passage and I thought, oh man, I got nothing. I don't even know, like, God, what do you want me to say with this? I took six weeks of reading this passage every single day, just praying, God, what do you want? And one other thing I want to acknowledge is the people who get up here week after week, our pastors who get up, who take our texts, who read them, study them to help us to learn because, man, I, that was an eye-opener. It's one thing to preach on something that you're passionate about. It's another thing to try and preach when you just read a text and ask what the Holy Spirit has to say. So I acknowledge you guys. I thank you, pastors, for what you do. So let's just open in prayer. So Father God, this morning as we, as we open your text, as we open your word, Holy Spirit, just dwell in this place. Take away any, any distractions that might be keeping us from hearing your word. And God, I just pray that it would not be my Dan's voice that they hear. It would be your Holy Spirit that they hear. Let this resonate in them. And glory to you, Jesus. Amen. So today we're, we're continuing on in our, on our series in 2 Corinthians. And I get to preach on 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 15. So I'm going to do a little something different. And, and you know, kind of, as I read, you're going, to, you're going to get this. I'm going to be reading out of the tra Passion Translation. But I'm going to ask everybody in here to actually close your eyes. And when you close your eyes, I want you to kind of picture something, because Paul, when he's writing these letters to the Church of Corinth, he's writing them, and, and he actually says, you know, like, I'm not an eloquent speaker. We've learned about that, like, last week and other weeks. He doesn't see himself as a real powerful speaker. But he comes across very, very convicted, very passionate when he, when he writes his letters. So when, you, when, you, when I'm reading this text, I want you to actually picture yourself. You're not reading a letter. I want you to picture that you're actually sitting in this room with Paul, and Paul is reading. He's actually talking to you. So, so reading this. Now, please bear with me with some of my craziness for a moment. Yes, please be patient with me. 
You need to know that God's passion is burning inside of me for you. Because like a loving father, I have pledged your hand in marriage to Christ, your true bridegroom. I've only promised that I would, I've also promised that I would present his fiancée to him as a pure virgin bride. But now I'm afraid, just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's clever lies, your thoughts may be corrupted, and you may lose your single-hearted devotion and pure love for Christ. For you seem to gladly tolerate anyone who comes to you preaching a pseudo-Jesus, not the Jesus we have preached. You have accepted a spirit and gospel that is false, rather than the spirit and gospel you once embraced. How tolerant you have become of these imposters. Now, I believe that I'm not inferior in any way to these special super-apostles you are attracted to. For although I may not be polished or an eloquent speaker, I'm certainly not an amateur in revelation knowledge. Indeed, we have demonstrated this to you time and again. Have I committed a sin by degrading myself to dignify you? Was I wrong to preach the gospel of God to you free of charge? I received ample financial support from other churches so that I could, not, so I could freely serve you. Remember when I was with you, I didn't bother anyone when I needed money, for my needs were already supplied by the Macedonian friends. So I was careful and I will continue to be careful that I never become a burden to you in any way. As the reality of Christ lives in me, my glad boast of offering the gospel free of charge will not be silenced throughout the region of Achaia. Why? Is it because I have no love for you? God knows how much I love you. But in order to eliminate the opportunity for those super apostles to boast that their ministry is on the same level as ours, I will continue this practice. For they are not true apostles, but deceitful ministers who masquerade as special apostles of the Anointed One. That doesn't surprise us, for even Satan transforms himself to appear as an angel of light. So it's no wonder his servants also go about pretending to be ministers of righteousness. But in the end, they will be exposed and get exactly what they deserve. So you can go ahead and open your eyes now. So going to break, break today's text into four sections. The first section, Paul's talking, well, I'm actually going to reread the first section. It says he has a desire, he has a desire to see each person become the bride of Christ. God's passion is burning inside of him because like a loving father, he has pledged your hand in marriage to Christ. So Paul's making a pretty bold statement here. Now, when you read other translations, this was in, in the Passion Translation, but if you read NIV, NET, AS, ESV, they all say God's jealousy. Now, I don't know about you. When I get jealous, it's not usually a good thing. I, can't, I haven't figured out how to do it with godly, godly motives or anything, but I can understand passion. So when I read Paul's passion... This is what drives him, right? He has a passion for the lost. He has passion for people who aren't walking with Jesus. He has a passion for the church. But something that we need to know about Paul, he used to be called Saul. So who was Saul? Well, Saul wasn't a very good person. Murderer. You know, he cheated people. He attacked people. He threatened him. 
He did all kinds of bad things. Now, Paul's walking down this road to Damascus, and he had an encounter. He went blind. After this encounter of going blind, he met Jesus. That's when he became Paul. So Paul understands what it is to not have Jesus. This is what drives him. He knows what it's like before that. He knows what death looks like. And now he's got Jesus. He's got, he's got this. He tasted and seen that the Lord was good. And his desire, he wanted everybody else to taste that, to experience that. He had a God-given passion placed upon him for the lost. As I looked at Paul, I had to ask, you know, because he talks about God's jealousy, he talks about God's passion. So what does God's passion look like? When I asked about this, when I, as I prayed, God brought me to Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep. So I'm going to read this out of the Passion Translation as well, starting in verse 4. There once was a shepherd with a hundred lambs, but one of his lambs wandered away and was lost. So the shepherds left the 99 lambs out in the open field and searched for them in the wilderness for that one lost lamb. He didn't stop until he found it. Who does this? Certainly you'd have to be fueled by a passion or you know, something to, to, to cause you to leave everything else to find that one. With exuberant joy, he raised it up placed it on his shoulders, and carried it back with cheerful delight. I want to read that verse again. With exuberant joy, he raised it up, placed it on his shoulders, and carried it back with cheerful delight. Returning home, he called all of his friends and neighbors together and said, let's have a party. Come and celebrate with me the return of my lost lamb. It wandered away, but I found it and brought it home. Jesus continued, in the same way, there will be more glorious celebration in heaven over the rescue of one lost sinner who repents, comes back home, and returns to the fold, more so than for all the righteous people who never strayed. I used to be that lost sheep. I was wandering around in the wilderness. I was lost. I was hurt. I didn't even know it. And God sent someone to find me. Looking at the life of Paul, I can't think of any other reason for him to go through all the suffering and everything he endured after he became Paul than for one thing. He's seen a bigger picture. He's seen what it was like to not have Jesus. He knew that. And now that he had Jesus, he wanted other people to know that. That drove him. He became passionate about it. He dedicated his life to that. He wanted people to be able to walk with Jesus in glory. So the second part of this text talks about the deceit, the lies. Some of these are kind of subtle. Some of them not so much. So verse 3. But now I'm afraid, just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's clever lies, your thoughts may be corrupted, and you may lose your single-hearted devotion and pure love for Christ. For you seem to gladly tolerate anyone who comes to you preaching a pseudo-Jesus, not the Jesus we have preached, you have accepted a spirit and gospel that is false, rather than the spirit and gospel you once embraced. How tolerant you have become of these imposters. So Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6, are the New 
New English translation illustrates just how crafty our enemy is. Now, the serpent was more shrewd than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. You see that? Right at the beginning. Our enemy is more shrewd, cunning, deceitful, sneaky than anyone else. He said to the woman, is it really true that God said you must not eat from any tree on the orchard? So see here how Satan's already being crafty. He's planting doubts in our mind. You know, did God really say that? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit from the trees of the orchard, but concerning the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the orchard, God said, you must not eat from it, and you must not touch it, or else you'll die. In verse 4, the serpent plants this doubt and deceit a little bit deeper. The serpent said to the woman, surely you'll not die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll live like divine beings who know good and evil. And by verse 6, Eve's already brought into, the, brought into the deceit. When the woman saw that the tree produced fruit that was good for food, was attractive to the eye, and was desirable for making one wise, she took some of the fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So you see, pretty simple, right? Very effective. Plant a little seed, a little doubt, maybe a little bit of our desire. If we want to look a little bit more proof, let's look at our church. Not our church, the church. 2,000 years ago, Paul was warning us of the pitfalls of Satan's schemes. He warned us how Satan would attempt to get into our churches, cause confusion and temptation. And look at some of the churches today. We have churches that are trying so hard to fit into the world, they've walked away from the scriptural truths and message to preach messages that the world would accept, sometimes even embrace. We want so bad to fit in that we strive to make our religion fit our world instead of allowing the power of the Holy Spirit access to change us. We seek churches that fit our personal beliefs and narratives, perhaps because we're afraid of letting ourselves submit and change. When I look back over my life, there's a lot of times I wasn't true to myself. I had friends, I had groups, I had things that I let sneak into my life because I felt accepted, I felt loved, I felt this is where I belong. Problem is, it wasn't where I belonged. It didn't get me anywhere. And now, when we look at the church, where's it been getting some of these churches? Over and over, you hear about churches, you know, a scandal after scandal after scandal of things that are happening. And you look at some of these churches, have they been practicing the true word of God, the whole word of God? They're trying to fit in. Recently, I was reading an article in a, a church life, I believe it's called, A Church of Sinners by Sinners. When I first read the title, I mean, it grabbed my attention. I thought, how cool is this? A church that's not full of hypocrites, right? As I read the article, it kind of made me sick. The lead pastor of this church is a husband and wife, and it was the, the wife who was the lead pastor. She is a, a, a current 
actively engaged in the adult film industry, practicing in this. Her husband does as well with other, you name it, they're very open about it. But in her defense, what she'll say, this is her God-given ability. God give her these talents to do this. And this is what she tells her church members, is that she is following God's calling in her life. So she's taken scriptures, and she's kind of twisted them a little bit to, you know, to fit her narrative of her life and to fit her sin. And I'm not going to stand here and throw stones because I got sin in my life. And we need the Holy Spirit to dwell in these places. But we need our leaders because we are held to a higher standard to follow God's word, his truth, and not go off course of that. Let's take a look at churches and the growth of some of these churches. We have these mega churches all over. They preach the prosperity gospel, the feel-good gospel, name it and claim it. I'm going to admit, I mean, some of these sermons, man, they make me feel good. You know, I've gone into them and I, I've listened to them and, and sometimes I'm in a really bad place and I need those. And I'm not going to argue that some of them aren't actually based on Scripture. A lot of them are. But they miss little bits of Scripture but tie it all together. That's the hard part. That's the dangerous part of when we're not following God's Word in completion. I've seen a lot of prayers prayed in, prayed in faith. I've seen a lot of prayers... And I prayed them, you know, God heal this person. And I've seen those prayers answered. I've also seen a lot of prayers not answered the way I prayed. And that's okay. You got to kind of realize God is not a magical genie. I can't just pray and command him, God, do this. And he's going to just say, okay, here you go, poof, right? Sometimes he does. I don't understand the why. But I have to trust he sees a bigger picture than what I do. You ever seen those Facebook posts? You know, share, the, share this post of Jesus. You're going to come into money. You're going to get $100,000. You're going to get something like that. Or share this and you're going to be blessed. Don't share it. You're going to have a bad day. Ooh. We need to quit seeing Jesus as a genie. And we need to start letting him be and see him as our Lord and Savior. A number of years ago, I was driving down the road early on. You know, they had that when the satellite radio was kind of a new thing. I used to work a lot of hours. And as I'm driving, flicking through the channels, and there's a lot of not good stuff on those radio stations too, but I come across somebody giving a sermon. And it stopped me on my tracks, and I started listening to it. And I thought, how cool is this? I can, I can get my church on while I'm driving. So I listened to it. I felt really good after. I thought it was a really good sermon. So the next time I went for a drive, guess what I did? I found that radio station, and I listened to it again. Once again, I felt really good after. Third time, fourth time, fifth time, well, after about a dozen times, I kind of started seeing a pattern. All of these sermons were on the same narrative. So I talked to my wife, because, you know, I wasn't going to go to Google. She's wiser than me. So I asked her, she's heard of this guy, because I, I, I was saying, like, this is cooling. I mean, you know, look at this. Well, then she told me the guy's name, and then I started doing a bit of research. Well, this guy's kind of known, you know, a little bit of prosperity gospel, a little bit of this. What I think as Paul would call it, you know, almost like a super apostle, because he's got a large following. He's got a mega church in the U.S. He's got, you know, 
And like I say, on a single servant basis, most of them are pretty good. Little bits would lead you astray. And if that's all I ever listened to, if that's all I ever heard, it could really put me in a ditch. In the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 13, and I'm reading out of the New, New Living Translation, Jesus said, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. So recently, I, I live south of town, down Highway 40. They've been doing all this construction, and I drive this road a few times a week, and they have this sign. And, and, and this sign, it, it, it stopped me on my track, so if you guys want to pull this up. <laughs> right? When you guys got Jesus, that. That's what you got. That highway to hell is shut down, barricaded, blown up, gone. You guys have the opportunity to have that. We have the opportunity to share that with others. But if you go to the next slide, and this is two seconds after that sign. <laughs> right? Follow detour. Satan's not, I mean, he's a pretty clever guy. He's not, he's not just saying, like, here, take this road. This is going to get you to hell. No. He's coming in. He's sharing. He's getting in our head and our thoughts. Right? Some, maybe some of the churches we go to, some of the messages we listen to, some of the TVs we watch, the songs we listen to, all these different things right? It's not one way that is going to lead you to hell. He's going to find a thousand ways to get us there. Jesus gives us one way to get to heaven, and that's through him. That right there is why it's so important to follow the narrow path. That is why we need our churches to follow the narrow path. We need pastors to follow that narrow path. I need to follow that narrow path, and you guys need to follow that narrow path. Wouldn't it be kind of easy, though, to go to church, just read the Bible, talk about Jesus, only talk about the parts that made us feel good, you know, warm and fuzzy like a hug from your grandbaby, you know? Be pretty good. Maybe it even aligns with my truth. You know, have you guys ever heard that, you know, what's your truth? There is only one truth, and that's Jesus. But if that's all we're ever doing is seeking, we're doing a great disservice to God and the children of God. And we're really running the risk of missing that narrow road. We need all of his word. John 21, Jesus called his disciples to come have breakfast. Now this is the third time Jesus appeared since after being raised from the dead. So after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Feed my lambs, Jesus told them. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Jesus said a third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. You kind of sense Peter's expiration here. When he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. He said, then feed my sheep. This text is providing pretty simple instruction. It starts out, feed my lambs. 
the baby sheep, the new believer, the person who's maybe seeking. We're called to feed them. That means providing them God's complete word. The next verse, take care of my sheep, followed by feed my sheep. It's a continuation of growth. You have the new believer. We need to feed them. Help them to grow. Help them to find food. Show them how to, how to get food on their own. And it goes all the way to where they're now able to feed themselves. They're able to go out. They're able to get into the Word. They're able to do all these things. All the way to maybe in the end when somebody can't get into the Word on their own. We continue nurturing. We continue caring for them. We continue loving them. This is what we're instructed to do. But how do you do that if we're not in the center of God's Word? So carrying on here, the third part of this text really kind of speaks to delivery. So start in verse 5. Now I believe that I'm not inferior in any way to these special super apostles you are attracted to. For although I may not be polished or eloquent speaker, I'm certainly not an amateur in revelation knowledge. So here Paul's admitting he's not an eloquent preacher. Nowhere near those others. But it doesn't stop him. Instead, he acknowledges it, says, okay, God, and he continues anyways. He knows it's more important to share the word of God, to feed the lamb, to care for the sheep, to look after the sheep, to look after that flock, than it is about his own, how he feels about himself, his own perceived inadequacies. So something you guys might not know I became a believer, it'll be 13 years ago this Christmas when my dad died. That pushed me over the edge. Now, right after that, I felt called to be a pastor. That scared me immensely. You see, before that, I was a whole lot like Saul was. You know, I didn't murder anybody, but, you know, I mean, if you look at scriptures, I guess I did because I had a lot of evil thoughts and I had a lot of bad ideas and did a lot of bad things. So I, I looked at, this is who I seen myself. I seen myself as Saul. But I felt if God's going to call me into this, okay. I just humbly said, okay, God, you got a lot of work to do. But here I am. And I'm willing. And I'll go on this journey with you. Thirteen years later, still not a pastor, not the most eloquent speaker, but God has opened up so many opportunities for me to share his word with others. To be able to share the love of Christ with others. But it started with me being able to say, okay, God, take me in my mess. He's doing the same thing with you guys. He's just asking, will you say yes? A couple months ago, Pastor Mel shared in one of his sermons, some of the people whom God called. And I can honestly say when you look at, if you didn't know the outcome of these stories, if you only just seen here's the first narrative of the introduction of these people, you think, man, God can't do nothing with them. You know, I see myself in a lot of these people. And yet God used each one of them. So you had Jacob, who was a cheater. Peter had a temper. I used to have that. David had an affair. Noah was a drunk. Jonah ran from God. Paul was a murderer. Gideon was insecure. Miriam was a gossip. 
Martha was a warrior. Thomas was a train. Sarah was impatient. Ah, trying to see if you guys are listening here. Some people will say Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was moody. Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. Moses stuttered. Zacchaeus was short. Abraham was old. Lazarus, he was dead. So everybody in this room, as far as I know, you guys are all breathing and sucking in air. So when I look at this list, God's got purpose for every single one of you. And he's asking you, will you? Will you follow me? God doesn't need us all together. He doesn't need us to be perfect. Because I'll tell you what, I'm not perfect. I'm not refined. God's been doing that in my life. But I'll tell you what, Jesus is perfect. He's the one who died on a cross for me to make me perfect through God's eyes. All he wants you to do is say yes. So the fourth section of this text, I read as a warning. Start in verse 13. For they are not true apostles, but deceitful ministers who masquerade as special apostles of the anointed one. That doesn't surprise us, for even Satan transforms himself to appear as an angel of light. So it's no wonder his servants also go about pretending to be ministers of righteousness. But in the end, they'll be exposed and get exactly what they deserve. So you read that text. People going around like the anointed one. There's people in our churches who are masquerading. Goes back to that sign. Highway's closed. But here, follow a detour. Satan's going to be sneaky. He's going to deceive us. We can be thinking we're doing good. That's why it's important to be rooted in your Bible, to read God's word, to study it. Day and night, it says. So we need to be alert, centered, filled with the whole word of God, and not just the parts we like. So conclusion. It's an early sermon today. What can we learn from this text? But more importantly, how can we apply it to our lives in a practical way? Well, Paul's pretty passionate here. God was passionate. Jesus died for us. I can't, I can't think of anything more passionate than that. So we're to be passionate about seeking the lost. But we need to remember to look after the found. We need to keep on looking after his sheep. We need to keep rooting God's word and all of it, not just parts. And don't wait until you think you're ready. I listed off a name of people in the Bible who God used in powerful ways. I don't think any of them thought they were there, they were ready. I can tell you I didn't think I'm ready. I still don't think I'm ready, but here I am. So don't wait until you think you're ready or have all the answers or even know what the next step is. All you got to do is just take a step. You know, if you ever walk through a house and you have a set of stairs, if the lights aren't on, you know that there's another stair, there's another stair. All you got to do is just take a step, right? That's all we got to do in our life is just take a step. Let God light up the next path and the next path and the next. I can guarantee you, if you guys are willing to say, here I am, God send me, God's going to use you in some powerful ways. If you ask what the, what the value of a life is, what's the value of a soul? It's priceless. We've got to have people who are planting seeds. We've got to have people who are working the fields. We've got to have people who are harvesting. We've got to have people out watering. We've got to have all these people. People to get saved, it's not usually on one encounter. 
I believe it's on seven. I got to hear God's word seven times. We had people who were baptized today. You know, I guarantee these people had people pouring into their lives to share God's word with them. So I have a few, three questions. I'd like everybody to, you know, just take and think about these as you go about your day today. How can I demonstrate my passion for God today? How can I be passionate for others today? A third application. Who can I share the gospel with? So, as, as we kind of heard at the start of the sermon, that we do have, you know, we have an altar ministry. We have people who like to come down and pray. It is a blessing for us to come down and do that. So, if anybody needs prayer, you know, please come down for prayer. Um, it, it, it's always good. It, it's a blessing. You know, maybe you need prayer for healing. Maybe you just need something, some time with God on your own. But, uh, you know, definitely do that. There's also Let's Connect cards in the back of your, of the backs of the pews. You know, if you guys have anything, maybe this is your first time here. You know, I've met a couple of people who are the first time here today, and last week was another guy. You know, introduce yourselves, but please take the time to fill out a card so we can get to know you. It's, uh, you know, you're part of the body here. And if you're someone who maybe hasn't, hasn't actually come to know Jesus yet, and you've been sitting in this pew, maybe you're sitting, listening on the camera on TV or something, don't wait. We're given today. We don't know that tomorrow's going to be here. I don't want to scare anybody, but the reality is there's one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus. And if you don't have him as your Lord and Savior, the alternative is not very good. But I just invite you to receive Christ. So I'd just like to end in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your son dying on a cross. We thank you for the life of Paul. It used to be Saul, God, who could give us this example of what it was to know life not knowing you and to have life with you. God, and the passion and the example that he sets for us, that he didn't have it all together, that he just said, okay, and I'll follow you. So God, as we go out of here today, I just pray a blessing over every person. God, that your word would dwell in their hearts that we would take these questions and, and earnestly ask ourselves of them. God, and I thank you for those people who are living out their faith, who are, who are engaging, who are trying to be rooted in your word. I pray a blessing over all the people who got baptized today, God. What a glorious celebration that is. These public declarations of faith. And we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So if you guys could all stand, I'll just share a benediction. May the unconditional love of the Lord Jesus, the anointed one, be with your spirit. Go in peace.